Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time, and I know it is for many of you, welcome. My name is John. Uh, I'm the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you checking us out on this Sunday morning, giving us a little bit of your time. Today, we are continuing this series that we are calling Bite Size. And what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is just taking a look at these bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that you can find in the book of Proverbs. Now, if you're not familiar with Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is located in the Old Testament. It was written by a guy named Solomon. Solomon was one of the greatest kings of ancient Israel. And because of a gift from God, Solomon was actually the wisest man to have ever lived and who will ever live. That being the case, we thought it would be wise for us to kind of tune into what he has to say, try to learn a little bit about his wisdom and to see if we can begin to apply that wisdom to our lives. Because if we can do that, then according to him, our lives will be better and we'll be better at life. And I think that's something we all want to do. So before we kind of get into the proverb of this week, and, and today is, is going to be a very practical day. Um, last week was very deep if you were here, and it kind of took a lot out of us. So we're going to kind of go a little lighter. I promise to do that with you today. So we are going to do that. Before we kind of get into the proverb, I want to uh, sort of talk about a couple of things, set the stage. And I want, to, I want to ask you a question, just to sort of prime the old pump, as they say, just sort of get you ready for what Solomon is going to hit us with in just a little bit. So let me, here's a question I have for you. You don't have to answer this out loud, just be sort of thinking it in your mind. But have you ever met someone that later you wish you had never met, right? Yeah, you're laughing. I asked my wife, I go, let me ask you a question, just testing this question. I go, and she laughed. And I don't really know why she was laughing. I don't know what that says. But like, like in your life, have you ever sort of fell in with somebody or, you know, got hooked up with somebody that looking back now, it's kind of like, ugh, honestly... Like, I just, I wish, oh, I just wish I never met that person. I think, you know, maybe if that's not your case, maybe, maybe has your wife ever met someone that you wish that she never met? Or maybe your husband, has, has he ever met someone you wish, like, I never wish he met that guy? Or if your parents in the room, have your children ever met sort of a group of kids that you wish they never fell in with? Chances are, we're saying yes to this. And generally speaking, the, the reason we wish that we never met these people is that it's the people we've met that are connected to our greatest regret. I mean, when you think back over your life, when you think about some of those biggest regrets in your life, some of those biggest mistakes, those things didn't happen in a vacuum. Chances are when it comes to your greatest regret, that, that time in your life that wish you could forget, chances are you weren't alone when those things happen, chances are your biggest regret, those biggest mistakes, they involved other people. And more than likely, those big regrets in our lives, they didn't happen with your enemy. Because we keep our enemies at bay. We, we keep our guard up around our enemy. Chances are your biggest mistakes, your biggest regrets happened with your friends. This is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about your friends. I want to talk about your associates. I want, to, I, want to, I want to talk about the importance of friendships because according to scripture, friendship is a critical component, a critical aspect of the human experience. 
And so what I want us to do today for the, just the next couple of minutes is I want to take some time to evaluate our friendships. I want us to do a little bit of inventory in the friendship department. And if necessary, I'm not saying this is going to be for you, but and if necessary, I want us to learn how to kind of put up some healthy boundaries, shall we say, when it comes to the people that we let closest to us. Now, with this kind of conversation we're going to have, with the scripture that Solomon is going to share with us today, there's going to come a point, not for all of you, but maybe some of you, there's going to come a point where you might be tempted to think, well, got to be honest with you, it sounds like it just sounds like we're being a tad mm, judgmental because we're talking about our friends. We're talking about the people you love. We're talking about the people that you've known for years, the people you work with, the, the people you go to school with. And at some point, you might want to say, John, it just sounds like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but it just sounds like, it sounds like you're asking us to be a little judgmental. I want to get out in front of that before we get like lost in that. I want to clarify that tension right now, just in case you might feel it in a little bit. Today's discussion is not about being judgmental. It's all about exercising good judgment. And there's a colossal difference between these two things. Being judgmental is sort of, I don't know, like half forming an opinion about someone and writing them off before you really know them or, or know their story. But Exercising good judgment is all about you. It's all about drawing conclusions about your life, not theirs. Good judgment is saying, and this is Adam taught us this in week one, good judgment is saying, in light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not for you, right? But for me, right? I'm not judging you. You can do whatever you want. Your life is not my business. But what is the wise thing for me to do? And in today's situation, what is the wise thing for me to do when it comes to my friendships, the people that I let into my life? So what I want you to do before we begin, I want you to sort of, I want you to, I want you to think back to when you were a kid. All right, might be hard for some of you, but kind of go back into the history books. Try to place yourself back when you were a child. Now, isn't it true that your parents had a lot to say about your friends? I mean, and like if maybe your grandparents or your guardians, sort of whoever was in charge in your life, isn't it true that they had a lot to say about our friends? I mean, some of them almost seemed like they were paranoid about who you associated with. They would say things like, you know, you can't hang out with him. No, you cannot, you cannot go to her house. You cannot date that guy. Trust me, you cannot sleep over their house. Why, mom? Their parents are never there. It's a lot of fun. Exactly. That is why you can't, okay? And usually, these conversations ended with you, you know, storming down the hallway, screaming, I hate you. You're ruining my life and slamming a door. Good times. Don't you miss those times? Now, I was thinking about my sort of childhood friends. I was writing this message. And I was able to dig out this beauty, okay? Here's me and my best friends. Look at those boys, right? Mothers, hide your daughters, okay? This, look at the old boy there. I mean, I'm going to start dressing like that again. That was about 1997, all right? So in, in spite of our, shall we say, um, rugged and menacing appearance, we were all good kids, okay? Uh, and our, my parents loved these guys. They just, these were, and growing up, I mean, especially in the summertime, I spent every waking moment with it. I mean, this guy would wake me up in the morning and we'd be like together till like midnight, which is my curfew. It was so much earlier than everybody else's, but whatever. 
mom, they're staying out till two. My dad says, nothing good happens after 2 a.m. And you know, he's right. Different story for a different day. Anyway, so I can't speak for you, but some of you had a very different experience when it came to your friends. Because for you, your parents wanted to get you away from your friends so badly that they moved you from one school into another. Some of your parents wanted to get you away from your friends so badly, they actually packed up your home and moved you to a different town or a different state or a different part of the country just to keep you away from the people that you called your friends. Now, what's so funny is that now that you're grown and you might have kids of your own, you're doing the same thing. Why? Because you remember your friends and you don't want your kids getting involved with the kind of people that you got involved with. See, what you have figured out now, naturally, is what your parents knew way back when, when they were ruining your life. And it was this, that our friends influence the direction and the quality of our lives. This is a principle. This is just true. And this is what makes friendship so amazing and wonderful and marvelous and truly a gift from God. And yet at the same time, this is what makes friendships so dangerous sometimes. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today. So this week, as I was preparing for the message, I stumbled upon a really interesting medical study. And I'm going to be honest with you, I only understood about half of it. And so if I confuse you, I'll, I apologize. But it really, it really kind of talks to what we're, we're talking about today. So in 2017, there was a neuroscientist, you know, scientists who study the brain. There was a neuroscientist based out of Northwestern University. And he was doing this massive study looking to see how friendships and decision-making kind of go together at a neurological level. And what this scientist found out is that the people that we associate with, th those that we are in close proximity with, they found that our actual brain waves begin to mimic the brain waves of the people that we are with. That simply being next to certain people aligns your brain with theirs. And based on who some of you walked in with, that's a scary thought, okay? That, that like really the people that we associate with can have a neurological impact on our lives. That simply being next to someone does something measurable to your brains. See, what these scientists found is that when they had these folks in a room all strapped up to whatever they're strapped up to, before they could measure any kind of behavioral changes, before they could measure any kind of attitude changes, they could literally measure your brain waves starting to link up with the person that you were just in close proximity with. It's fascinating. And based on these results, finding out how our brains work when we are with one another, they gave a conclusion. They said, well, here's sort of what we have decided based on what we have found studying the interactions of individuals. We conclude that if you want to maximize your happiness and if you want to minimize your stress, you need to invite people into your life who think the way that you want to think and who live the way that you want to live so your brain will automatically begin to copy theirs. 
Bring people into your life who have values that you want and admire. You hang out with them, your brain will just automatically start living that way. It's fascinating. But there's a flip side to what they found in this study. They found that over time, you can pick up on undesirable attitudes and behaviors with no effort. Now, is that judgmental? No, it's just, it's science. And so if it's true that we as humans begin to automatically think like the people that we are associating with, then what do we do with this information? How do we harness this science for our good? Now, what's so amazing is that 2,700 years ago, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said exactly the same thing that these scientists have only now found out. And like we said last week, when science and scripture are saying the same thing, you really want to tune in. So in Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon told us this, walk with the wise and become wise. That's a promise. He's saying when you just walk with wise people, you automatically, with no effort, with no studying, without doing anything, just by osmosis, or as we now know, by your brain waves linking up, you will become wise. He's saying that wisdom is contagious. Simply by hanging out with wise people, you will catch their wisdom. I mean, not if you're wearing a mask, but otherwise you will catch their wisdom. So who is a wise person, right? We want to hang out with these wise people. Who is a wise person? Well, a wise person understands that all of life is connected. That life, our lives, they don't happen in a vacuum. That what you do today, how you think today will impact what you do and how you think and what you look like tomorrow. We talked about that last week. A wise person does not make decisions based on the moment. Rather, based on their past experiences, their current circumstances, and their future hopes and dreams. And scripture is very clear. This type of wisdom, this type of behavior is contagious. That when you associate with individuals who are making wise choices in their life, it will positively impact how you view the world, yourself, um, your body, your health, your marriage, your finances, pretty much everything. When you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Then he gives us a little bit of a, a warning. He says, associate with fools and get in trouble. Now, we don't really use the word fool too much, but according to Jewish tradition, when they use this word fool, they would define it as someone that doesn't live carefully. That's a fool, someone who doesn't live carefully. Someone who doesn't understand that the past is connected to the present, that your present is a great predictor of the future. They just live for today and not in a good way, meaning they're not thinking, they're just doing. Now, what's so interesting about what Solomon says here is what he doesn't say. Let me show you the whole verse together, see if you pick it up. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. You notice like, what he doesn't say here? See, when you read this, you would expect the warning to be a mirror image of the promise. You would expect him to say, associate with fools and become foolish. But that's not what he says. He says, you're going to get in trouble. 
And in some translations, it actually says you're going to get harmed. Meaning, when you associate with individuals who are making unwise decisions in their life, who are not living carefully, your life is the one that gets negatively impacted by what they do. That when the drama strikes, and it always does, you're the one who catches the shrapnel. Now, this is so important for us to grasp because we so often defend these relationships in our lives, sometimes toxic relationships in our lives, by saying things like, well, look, I'll never be like them or think like them or, or do what they do, and therefore I'm safe. But our neuroscientist friend, he would go, no, you're dead wrong. Because if you stick with that person long enough, you will do what they do and you will think how they think just because of biology. Your brain waves will link up. So Solomon says, when you associate with fools, it, it is far worse than becoming foolish. You will be impacted by their lifestyle. In other words, if you have a friend who isn't careful, right, that's the definition, who isn't careful with their marriage, they won't be careful with yours. I mean, chances are they're not interested in, in helping you become a better husband or a better wife. Okay, they're, they're not making sure that you're not in situations that could put your relationship at risk. If you have friends who aren't being careful with their finances, trust me when I say this, they will not be careful with yours. They will not help you make choices to set you up for a successful financial future. And students in the room, if you have friends who are not careful with their grades, right? They're academics. They do not care about your grades. Solomon is saying, when you have friends who are not careful with their lives, they will not be careful with your life either. So, with that in mind, based on Solomon's wisdom, based on the insight we learned from science, I want to give you just five, let's call them suggestions, observations I've had from having conversations and appointments with people and hearing what's going on in their lives, five challenges that you can begin to put on your radar as you begin to process Solomon's wisdom and think about the friendships you have and begin to evaluate the friendships you might begin in the future. Now, I'm not saying you got to do any of this, right? This is, you don't have to write any of it down. You don't need to do any of this. But if we can begin to at least consider these five things, I believe that we might be able to avoid potential regret in the future. So the first one, I think, it's just me, I think it should be cause for concern if your friends are moving in the opposite direction you want to be moving. I mean, you might love the same music, you love the same food, they might be fun to go grab a beer with on a Friday night, but you have a plan. You got a plan for your marriage, you got a plan for your family, you got a plan for your children, you got a plan for your finances, you got a plan for your career. You are going this way. And yet your friends, they're going this way. That should concern you. But what do we normally do? Like, what do we do in these situations? We kind of say things like, well, I don't, you know, I don't do what they do, so eh, no harm, no foul. I mean, we're just having fun. We're just friends. That's a red flag. Because according to Solomon and according to science, our friends lead us somewhere, whether you realize it or not. So 
are your friends leading you in the direction you want to be moving. You know how this is really important for new Christians? I mean, if you're a new Christian in the room, and I know we have some new Christians, if you're a new Christian in the room, and you're only friends, right, and you're the only Christian in your friend group, you may need to find some new friends, at least for now, or at least some additional friends. Not forever, but just for now. I'm not saying your current friends are bad people. They're probably great people, wonderful people. But, but you're on a new path. You're going in a new direction. And until you have a solid spiritual foundation, you may want to, not forever, just for now, put a little bit of space between you and the old gang so that you don't get pulled in their direction. This is why we encourage folks all the time to get plugged into volunteering. Because when you volunteer, particularly here at this church, it, it immediately plugs, plugs you into people who are moving in the direction that you want to be moving. You are immediately part of a team that encourages one another, that builds one another up, that loves one another, that strengthens one another, who has fun with each other. There are folks that are all trying to make wise decisions. They don't always, but they're trying to make wise decisions based on God's truth. So if you are someone who is looking to make friends, if you've moved to Florida, you don't know a soul, you're here at church, this is a great way to meet some good people that can positively impact your life. Here's another observation that I've seen. It should be a cause for concern if your friend group makes you behave like a different person. That if you find that when you are around these people or this person or whatever the case may be, if you find that you are pretending to be something you're not or someone you're not, that's a red flag. And if you find that when you are with certain people, you, you are tempted to ignore your values, those values that you always held near and dear your entire life, that should concern you. If you're tempted to change who you've always been in an attempt to fit in, that should cause you to pause. And in fact, some of you have already been warned about this, haven't you? by your spouse, by your parents. It's kind of like, you know, when you're around them, you're like a, you're like a different person. It's like, I don't even know. Like when you come home after hanging out with him or after hanging out with her or after hanging out with them, it's like, I don't even, I don't even recognize you. If you are surrounding yourself with people who cause you to abandon what made you, you, that should concern you. Here's another one. If your friends pressure you to compromise, that should concern you. I mean, when you begin to consider behaviors and activities that like, were always off limits, like you wouldn't even go anywhere near them, but now you're starting to consider them, that should concern you. I mean, quite frankly, like, like the fact that these behaviors and activities are a viable option in your life now that is a huge, massive red flag. I mean, if your friend group causes you to have these sort of inner monologues where you're debating with yourself, should I go, should I not go? Is this a wise thing? I don't know. I should be okay. This is fine, right? I'm going to go. And I'm not going to. That should concern you. 
I mean, to build off this debating whether we should do it, is it the wise thing or not? If in the midst of this conversation that you're having with yourself when you're in your car and you're looking at your phone, should I go or not? And you say to yourself, well, I'll go, but I won't participate. Huh? What does this even mean? I mean, parents in the room, would you ever accept this defense from your children? Hey, dad, listen. It was a big party Friday night. Okay, look, there's going to be beer. There's going to be cigarettes, nudie magazines, fireworks. But I'm, I'm going to go. I'm just not going to participate in any of that. Oh, well, that sounds reasonable. Take my car, right? Here's 20 bucks. Have fun. No, you would never accept this from your child. So why would you accept this from yourself? I mean, Solomon would look at you and go, well, wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop. It's not so much that you do what they do, but you're there when they do it. Why? Because you never know when it's going to blow up. You never, you never know when the, when the other person's going to get too drunk. You never know when the person's going to get into an accident. You never know if, it, like, if someone's going to get arrested or if they say something or if they do something, gets attached to you, it tarnishes your reputation. I'm not, I want to go. I'm not going to participate. Listen, if you catch yourself saying, I'll go, I just won't participate, you got to slam on those brakes and reconsider what you're considering. Here's the last one. We're going to wrap this up. It should prick. It should prick your conscience. It, it, should, it should light your conscience on fire. It should make you pause when you say that, like, when, like when you hope that those you love don't know where you are or who you're with. And like, I don't know where where is, or I don't know who who is for you, but like when you're there and you're with that person, if your mind is in overdrive, just trying to create and concoct some defense, just in case you got to have that conversation, that should bother you. And God forbid, while you're making this defense, it includes a lie that should bother your spirit so much that it causes you to take a giant step back and consider what you're doing. Even if what you're doing is not bad, if you don't want others to know it, that should concern you. Now, with these five things in mind, I want to address attention that you might be feeling. Because while you probably wouldn't disagree with any of the things that I've said, and let's be honest, you know all of these things already. We might not do it, but we know them. It's just good to put them on the table and have a conversation about it every once in a while. While you might not disagree with any of these things, there's part of you that's kind of saying, this doesn't feel very mm, compassionate. Like John, as Christians, like if you're a Christian in the room, as Christians, are we supposed to be compassionate? I mean, aren't we supposed to be loving? Aren't we supposed to, like, didn't Jesus say you got to go out into the world and, and, and make disciples? And doesn't that necessarily require interacting and socializing and associating with folks who are making unwise choices? I mean, that's what Jesus did, right? Yeah, we are to be compassionate. We are to be loving. We are to be going out 
into the world and sharing the gospel and mixing it up with folks who are traveling in a very different direction than we are. But, and this is the biggest but you're going to ever hear in your life, but compassion will never require us to make an unwise decision. The love and compassion that Jesus has called us to have in this world will never require us to compromise ourselves and what we value. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, we leverage our misguided compassion to stay in relationships, romantic or otherwise, that we have no business being in. Remember, this lesson today, it's not about being judgmental. It's not about them at all. It's about you. It's about your future, and it's about doing the wise thing. So, what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly sort of what to do with what you've heard. So I want to give you a couple of questions to be thinking about and to be evaluating this week as you kind of process Solomon's wisdom. And the first one is this. Do your current friends represent who you want to be? I mean, when you think about what Solomon said, when you think about the findings those scientists have learned by studying the way that our brains interact with other people, do your current friends represent who you want to be in this world? Do they espouse the values that you admire and would love to have in your life? If you have children, or if you were to have children, would you want your friends pouring into your child's life? Would you want your friends to have influence, long-lasting, life-changing influence in your child's life. Now, here at DHC, we know nobody's perfect. We get that. But are your friends helping you to become a better person? Like when you're with your friends, do, do, do you find that they cause you to raise your ethical standards? Or do they cause you to lower the bar? Here's a huge one. Are your friends bringing you closer to God? or farther away. Now, friendship might not be the most important factor in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual life, but it is the most overlooked one. And when you can get yourself plugged into a good group of fellow believers who you can do life with, who can build you up, who can encourage you, who can strengthen you, you will see your faith flourish. Trust me, I've seen it with my own eyes. Some of you, gosh, good bug on me. Some of you today may have had a confirmation, let's call it. You may have had a confirmation of something that you've suspected for quite some time. Then when it comes to some of your friends, not all of them, but some of your friends, you may need to do a little bit of pruning. Remember, it's not about judging them. It's about what's wise for you and your future. So if God has laid it on your heart that, that about particular relationships that you might be in, let, let me encourage you. 
let me encourage you, not to sketchy bounce on them, all right? This is not a theological term. It's what I do at parties, right? When no one's looking at the end of the night without saying goodbye, I sketchy bounce, right? I slip out the back door, never to be seen again. It's like, hey, where's Garippa? I think he's gone. I'm home. I've been sleeping for two hours at that point, right? Don't sketchy bounce. Don't do the Irish goodbye. Don't do the French exit. Whatever you want to call it, whatever it is, don't like cut off communication with your friends with zero warning. Like, bye, Felicia, out of here, okay? Listen, even if you just need a break from your one friend, I'm not saying you got to end it, but even if it's like, I just, I got to put a little bit of space between us for a little bit, that will have an impact on them. Trust me, it will. But if you can handle that conversation with care and grace and love, while it might be awkward, okay, it literally could be the very thing that puts that person onto the right path. Walk with the wise and become wise. So let's lean into Solomon. Let, let's lean into what science has found. Let's surround ourselves with people who will put us on the right path, the path you want to be traveling and the path God has for you. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and just talk about this age-old wisdom, Lord. Friendship is one of the greatest things that we have in this world, Lord. And the people that you've put in our lives have such a massive influence on us and can make us the best people we can be, Lord, and can make us the people that you want us to be. But Lord, there are times, for whatever reasons, that sometimes certain relationships have gone stale. That sometimes people just may not be the best influence on us and what's best for us as individuals, as families, perhaps even as Christians. And Lord, a lot of times we know that something needs to be done and yet we just, we just, we don't do anything. I pray that today, Lord, if someone is in a situation where they've just got this, this, I'll just call it a toxic relationship, God. That you would give them the courage to do whatever it is that they need to do. And Lord, that you would bless them because of it. And I pray that each and every single one of us here today could find that friend that we need, that we can lean on, who can lift us up, who can strengthen us, who can encourage us to be the very best possible version of ourselves. That's my prayer for all of us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us in that regard. Lord, we thank you for our friends, and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your name.